Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Glory be to God. Beloved, this morning I would like to speak us, I would like to speak to us on the theme for the year. I only picked a portion of it. So the theme of the year is a glorious church revived to possess the nation. Somebody say a glorious church. Revived, revived to possess the nations. That is the theme of the year. But this morning, I want to talk to us about a glorious revived church. Somebody say a glorious revived church. A glorious revived church. And uh, my main text is from Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read from verse 22 downwards. My supporting text is Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, it's interesting that our sister Michelle picked it up. And I'll read it again for emphasis. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. And we read from the modern King James Version. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 22. It says, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and even as Christ is the head of the church. Somebody say Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives also be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Praise the Lord. And this is where the theme actually is picked from. Hallelujah. Verse 28 says that, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hate his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his flesh and of his, we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and, sub, and shall be joined unto his wife and, they, and the two shall be one flesh. Now take note of verse 32 as Apostle Paul is trying to point something to us. He says that this is a great mystery. Then he says, but... I speak concerning Christ and the church. Hallelujah. Shall we go to the supporting text? The supporting text is Colossians chapter number 1, verse 15 to 19. And it's themed the preeminence of Christ. Who is the image of the invincible God, the firstborn of all creation, for all things were, were created in him, the things in heaven and the things on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether throne or dominions or principalities or powers, or things where all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things. By him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he may 
that he may be preeminent in all things. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness shall dwell. Hallelujah. Beloved, I'm talking to us on a glorious revived church. A glorious revived church. Beloved, we cannot talk about the church, which is the body of Christ, without presenting the image of a husband and a wife. Hallelujah. And sometimes it beats my understanding that God will use such thing that is physical, natural, to try to communicate a divine thing. Hallelujah. Perhaps just so that you and I, who are human beings, can appreciate how God thinks. He has to connect to us in that perspective. And so we see that this scripture, which is often quoted during weddings and marriage ceremonies, is actually a picture of Christ and the church. Hallelujah. And so you see that Paul emphasized in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, that this is a great mystery. After talking about husband and wife, he says this is a great mystery. That he says that, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. Follow with me carefully. This is a great mystery. What is he talking about? He's talking about Christ and his church. Yes, he uses husbands and wives, but he's actually talking about Christ and his church. Beloved, may God give us grace to appreciate his word. Hallelujah. Then the second text that I read to you is talking about how Christ is the image of the invincible God. In other words, if peradventure you are looking for God who is a spirit, then look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the image of the invincible God. God was trying to help you and I see that he can identify with humanity. And so we know the story that Jesus is God and he's also man. So he's the God man. And so God who is a spirit has now been joined with man to have Jesus, the God man. And if we are looking for God as a man, look unto Jesus. Somebody say, look unto Jesus. Then it goes on to say that Jesus has preeminence. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he emphasized the point where he says that, verse 1, he says that, who is the image of the invincible God? The firstborn of all creation. Now watch this text. The firstborn of all creation doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus was given birth to as the firstborn. Jesus is God. But remember that to make a point, he's saying that Jesus became the first God-man of all creation. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus in heaven wasn't necessarily given birth to. He only existed with God as the triune God. But for you and I, he had to present himself in a form of flesh. Somebody say amen to that. So through him, all things consist. He is the creator. Now I'm speaking about the church. A glorious church. I'll talk to us on three things. First, a glorious church. The second thing is, 
what we mean by revival. And then I'll conclude with evidence of a revived church. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Now, I want us to understand this point. A glorious church is not necessarily a building. A glorious church is not necessarily a denomination. A glorious church is believers. Somebody say amen to that. Because we are the temple of God. So this theme that the Church of Pentecost has actually picked is also a theme that every believer, no matter your denomination, you should have. Somebody say amen. So when I'm talking about a glorious church, don't just think of your local assembly. Don't just think of Pentecost or Church of Pentecost. Think about yourself who has been purchased by the blood, who is a child of God and has the Holy Spirit in him. Somebody say amen. So why are you here at Glorious Church? I'm talking about you and I, me and you. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 for emphasis. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. Hallelujah. Beloved, I'll quickly rush us through the history of the church. Now we know that when the apostles and persecution hit those days in Jerusalem, after Christ had died and he had resurrected, the church began to split or to scatter. People were afraid for their lives. And so the church has gone through various dispensations. We know that Christianity actually began in Palestine or it began in Jerusalem. And as the scripture said, the word of God began to spread abroad. We have come a long way. And so the church has gone through various series of revivals. Various series of restoration. And every day we need a revival. Somebody say, every day I need a revival. You see, every day presents to us different opportunities. And no two days are the same. Hallelujah. And so we have the apostolic age, which was in A.D. 30 all the way to 800. We also came to an era where we had what people know this, people who are Bible students, you know this, the Council of Nicaea. We had the era where we had people who were the apologists. They were, they were defending the gospel. I'll rush through this. Hallelujah. We also had an era where we, we had what we call the medieval church, and th- a time where the church also became so profound, full of, of intellectuals. Hallelujah. And, and, and we also came to an era of the Reformation. And the Reformation was also some spark of a revival. Somebody say a revival. I'm talking about a glorious revived church. And we talk of people like Martin Luther. We talk about John Calvin and so on and so forth. Hallelujah. And we came to the, the era which some of us find ourselves. The modern church. The modern church. And this scholars believe that it's an era where it started with you know, there's people like C.H. Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, and all these eminent and great men of God. Hallelujah. And we know that certain revivals also started blowing through those era. We had the prayer revival of 1857. We have the Welsh revival of 1904. We have the missionary awakening of 1880. We had the Azusa Street revival. Beloved, the church has gone through revival, revival, and we always have to go through revival. Somebody say amen. 
You know what the church, when I mean the church, you and I, you know what we have to go through revival? We are human beings and we are frail. We are human beings and we have a limitation. So every day we go to the Lord and say, Lord, fill me. Because we are like baskets that keep draining. But Lord, when you fill us, we are always coming. We are always full. Somebody say, Lord, fill me. Oh, this morning may the Lord fill this church. This morning may the Lord fill you at your home. May the Lord fill your cup. May you never grow cold. Hallelujah. Then we came to what we call the Eastern African Revival in the 1926 and 29 going. And we came to the era of Pentecostalism. So most of us here, we are an era of Pentecostalism and charismatism. In other words, an era of the spirit. Somebody's an era of the spirit. An era where the spirit of God is mighty and is working through people of God. Beloved, what then is a revival? A revival essentially is the arrival of Jesus. Somebody say the arrival of Jesus. So when Jesus comes into a situation, we call it a revival. A glorious church revived to possess the nation. And I'm talking to us one more time on a glorious church, a glorious revived church. A revival is also the preeminence of Christ. So when Christ comes to dominate, when Christ comes to take over his church, when Christ is actually the Lord over your life, when Christ is actually the Lord over my life, when Christ is presented and is working through us, somebody say amen to that. A revival means an improvement in the condition or strength of something. So, the thing was in a certain state, and it is improved. Somebody say improved. It is revived. It is re-nourished. Another, another, another word says the betterment. Something is improved. It is made way better and way better. Others call it a re-establishment. Hallelujah. One, 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 one theologian, one Bible scholar that I, I, I like him so much, he, calls, he says that revival is when God gets sick. And tired of being misrepresented. And he shows himself up. Hallelujah. So God gets tired and he himself takes over the situation. And that is Leonard Ravenhill. Why revival tarries? He says when God gets so tired of being misrepresented and he shows up. So if you didn't hear anything at all, revival is the arrival of Jesus. Hallelujah. In wrapping up, I want to talk about the evidence of a revival church. And this is where I'll be doing the application. So, beloved, let us all sit and pick nuggets and apply them into our lives. Hallelujah. The evidence of a revived church. In the introductory remarks, I made a point of how the church is evident or represented by a husband and a wife. That Paul talking about the mystery of marriage is actually talking about the mystery of Christ and the church. So that was actually his message. Even though he talked about husband, wife, husband, he says, I'm talking about a mystery. And that mystery is Christ and the church. But the only way I can explain it to you is to use marriage. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because we are mere men and we like practical examples. We like things we can touch. We like things we can see. We like things we can understand. So the evidence of a revived church, or church you and I, speaking of a glorious revived church, number one, we must submit to each other. Somebody say amen to that. You and I at home, you and I at work as believers, 
we must submit to each other. So it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, submit yourselves. Now, the same word that is used there is, 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 is to mean that not necessarily that one is better than the other or the husband is better than the wife. No, no. It's saying that we should just submit to each other. In other words, just as it said that Christ being Lord still did not see equality with God, something to be grasped. I mean, he was Lord. Jesus was not, was not a, in quotes, if I have to use this, a lesser God. He was God. <laughs> But yet, he humbled himself. So we must submit to each other. When I see Brother Nietzsche, when I see anyone in the church, when I, I should be willing to submit to them. It doesn't matter the title they carry. It does, once they are children of God, we must submit to each other. Somebody say, I will submit to each other. We will submit to each other. Say, God, help us to submit to each other. Hallelujah. Number two, it says that Christ is the head of the church. So the second evidence of a revived church is Christ is the head. Now this is where it gets controversial, especially when you preach these messages, you know, <laughs> at weddings. And then people look at you, especially my, my beloved uh, sisters who are hardcore feminists, you know, and, 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 and they, they push a certain agenda. We respect all of that. But you see, the whole headship of Christ is so that the institution can work. So that the church can function. In an institution, you have the CEO. But you also have managing directors. Oftentimes, if you watch, the CEO is more or less the ceremonial head. Those who do the job are the MDs. Or those who are actually under the CEO. Those who, so you see that Christ here being the head is to make a point that there has to be leadership. Otherwise, everybody will present an agenda. At home, somebody must lead. Hello? In this church, somebody must lead. And we must all follow. So that it can work. I'll repeat. We must not let the work of God stop. We must let the word of God move. Because we are talking about Christ and the church. But Christ works through human beings. He works through the presbyters. He works through our pastor. He works through the whole of the, 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 the church leadership, our area head. He works through our national head. He works through our chairman. Look at this beautiful team chairman has given us. And so we must push that team because it's coming from the head. So I can't come here and start preaching something in the second Sunday of the year. When my, our, our chairman has given a team. Imagine I'm coming and I'm talking about something else. There's time for everything. So the point we are making is that Christ is the head of the church. Hallelujah. And the church is you and I. Christ is my Lord. Yes, I'm a man, but I'm married to Christ. We are talking about spirit. That's what Paul says. It's a mystery. So that's the second evidence of a revived church. Now at that point, he says that husbands love your wife. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, 25. If we are looking for a revival in our local assemblies, married men, married women, we must love our wives. We must love one another. Love covers everything. 
It doesn't matter the person's frailty. It doesn't matter the person's weakness. We all are not perfect, but we serve a perfect God. And so through his perfection, we must love our spouses. Hallelujah. So he says that husbands love your wife. This presents a very high level of submission. To love somebody is to go in all extent. And we know what Jesus did. Jesus' love was not by mouthful. It was by action. He literally died for you. You, 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 and me. He didn't say, I'll die for you, I'll die for you. And he didn't die. Like some people are deceiving people. Good vibes. He literally died. And, and you remember instances where even Peter was trying to stop him from dying. And he says, no, 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 you. <laughs> or even the devil working, he says, no, 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 no. This thing must be accomplished. If Jesus came and he didn't die, he wouldn't have become what we are talking about today. And so there must be that sacrificial love for one another. Hallelujah. The, the fourth point of a revived church, five minutes and I'm done, we pray. Is that he, that he might sanctify and cleanse. Point number, number four. He might sanctify and cleanse. So you and I saved by the blood in this church, in our homes. Christ is preparing us for the marriage feast. We are his bride. And so he keeps sanctifying us. So sanctification is a process. Somebody say a process. Once we got born again, we are sanctified. Once we are children of God, we are being sanctified. Every day you wake up, you read the Bible, a word of God touches your heart, you repent, you are being sanctified. You are being sanctified. You see, God wants a bride or Jesus wants a bride without blemish. Somebody say amen to that. So you and I always must go through that sanctification process. In John chapter 17, we see, it talks about, I sanctify myself that they also be sanctified. John 17, 19. Another evidence of a revived church I'm talking about a glorious revived church here, beloved. Number, number five is that the church that doesn't have a spot or a wrinkle. Somebody say amen to that. A spot or a wrinkle. That there is not even a blemish. Spotless. Somebody say spotless. And so a glorious revived church has to be spotless. Neat. Clean. With, and, and it goes on to say, without wrinkle. And I want to explain that. Wrinkling means aging. Wrinkling means wearing out. But remember, we are talking about a glorious, revived church. In other words, a church that is continually being restored, polished, cleaned. So you can't see any wrinkle. Not even one. In other words, an ageless church. May God never let us wrinkle. Hallelujah. Oh, I said, may God never let us wrinkle. Amen. That's it. Lesson. It goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. A glorious revived church has to be like the body of Christ itself. 
So we know that Jesus is the head. And we are the body. So a glorious revived church must be a church that is like the body itself. And he says that as they love their own bodies. So it has to be something that is just like Jesus. Because when a husband and a wife, again in this scripture, is talking about that, it's talking about a point where they are one. So you and I, the day we got born again, we are one. So know that you are a temple of God. Know that wherever you are at home, God's spirit lives in you. Hallelujah. The seventh point, I have ten points. The seventh point is togetherness. Somebody say togetherness. So Acts chapter 2 verse 44 And this is what it says. And all that believed were together. And they had everything in common. Somebody say togetherness. Tell somebody I need you. You need me. Let's do it together. Hallelujah. At your workplace. You see, we can't do it on our own. Husbands cannot function on their own. Wives cannot. We need each other. Togetherness. Somebody say togetherness. The number eight point, Acts chapter, chapter 2, verse 45, it says that, And they sold their possessions and goods and parted, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. Verse 46, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat they are meet with gladness and single heart, singleness of heart, and singleness of heart. The eighth point is given. A glorious revived church, me and you, at our homes. The church of God universal has to be a church that gives. We must give our time. We must give our money. We must give our, our, our energy. Hallelujah. We must we must, we must push the God agenda. Hallelujah. You see, beloved, we are all busy. Nobody, none of us here, and you, I mean, those of us, you know what we are talking about. Everybody has something they are occupied with. But we must do this together. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So it was a church, and it's talking about Acts or the early church, a revived church. It's a church that gives. Acts chapter 2 again, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So what happened here was that there was God himself adding. God himself was adding to the church. So a glorious revived church, God adds. Because they are together, they are a team, the agenda is being pushed at home. You and I, God continues to add. May God continue to add on us. Hallelujah. And finally, the tenth point. We can't talk about this any less. It's a church of prayer. And we'll be praying in the next two minutes. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Then, indeed, Peter was kept in prison. 
but earnest prayer was made to God for him by the church. Earnest prayer was made for him by the church. A glorious revived church is a church of prayer. Hallelujah. Again, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, And towards midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and praised God in a hymn. And the prisoners listened. When you go further on, it says that the, 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 the prison ground shook. Hallelujah. May God baptize us with prayer. May our individual prayer lives be rekindled. We cannot talk about the arrival of Christ without prayer.